Canto One of The Paradise is at once a description, a kind of introduction of what this third, last and most extraordinary part of Dante's journey is going to invite us into. It's also Dante himself as a poet calling on the gods to give all that they might give, all their gifts, the gift of his poetry itself that comes from the divine, in order that he might communicate and show and be worthy of discussing all that he's seen on this third and last part of his journey. And at the same time, it stirs up in us the desire to follow him, if we possibly can, into the highest heavens. It tells us that our love, our desire is going to be needed, our curiosity, our intellect is going to be needed. It's going to be daunting and difficult at times, but ultimately it's going to take us to the place which we're destined to go to anyway. And it's an invitation to become more conscious, therefore, about what this life is about, as much as what the goal of this life is about. It's truly a rich invitation with which the paradise begins. Let me read the opening tercet as translated by Mark Muser, because it contrasts so vividly with the opening tercet of the Inferno, if you remember where we began with Dante waking up midway through the course of his life in a dark wood, frightened. Now, at the beginning of the paradise, as Mark Muser has it, Dante says, The glory of the one who moves all things, penetrates all the universe, reflecting in one part more and in another less. This is now the vision of reality that he's beginning to get to grips with, that reality is actually the kind of cascading light and glory that moves, that's dynamic too, throughout the whole of creation, reflecting as well as it can, hence in some parts more, in some parts less, the glory, the light, the movement, the dynamism of the divine creator. That's now how he's seeing reality. And it's the sense of reality that the paradise is going to draw us into more and more with the aim of enabling us more and more to reflect this divine dynamism and this divine light, which is ultimately what being created is all about. It's the goal and completely satisfying for all that we're about because it brings all that we're about together into a unity. Our intellect, which is to say, not just our understanding, but how we can consciously resonate with the divine whole, but also our desire, the yearning, the erotic impulses which can drive us through life um, blindly or more and more um, consciously with seeing the light. And that growing consciousness, understanding what our desire draws us towards because the light illuminates more and more our intellect, our capacity to resonate with reality. That is, if you like, the therapy of the paradise, that which it brings about.
Dante says that he's been there. He's been to the highest heaven that reflects fully the divine light without impediment, where its intellect and its desire comes together in the glory. He says he's been there. Um, whatever skill Dante has as a poet, which is considerable, whatever resources Dante had through his education, both of the classical world and the best that Christianity could offer. He has, in a way, exceeded all that because he's been taken to the source of all that. Um, I don't think he would say that yes, unless, he unless he really had been there. This is not just um, a journey born by a tremendous imagination. It's a journey that's become possible to talk about because Dante's imagination can reflect on a reality that he's actually seen and so bring it into words that we can wrestle with, that can touch us, that can be, if you like, a bridge for us towards the place that he's been. He says that it's a place that memory can't fathom. And so his words inevitably are going to fall short, even if they enable us to catch kind of glimpses and reflections of the divine height. But that is only to be expected, because another thing I think that happens as we ascend closer to the divine is that we draw less and less on the reflections, less and less on the um, memories, on the intimations, um, because we see it more and more fully. It's directly present in front of us. And so Dante is already signalling that whilst his paradise aims for nothing less than carrying us to the heart of all things, it itself is going to have to do so in a secondary way, through the power of tremendous poetry. But we must also constantly sort of be looking through that poetry to the more that it's just a reflection of. And when we can stay with that more in our intellect, in our desire, then we will know it directly. And yet, at the same time, this is in fact not to distance us from the divine reality. Because, of course, all reality is full of that divine life and dynamism and light. That's what Dante's told us in the opening Tercet. He has seen it, and what he has seen is present in what he writes and leaves for us much as the divine reality is present immediately in the world around us if we can develop the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And he turns to the gods, and particularly to the god Apollo. Now it might be slightly surprising that he calls on a classical god, the god of Apollo, to speak about the god he's seen in the Christian period. Um, but this is about leaving nothing out of the whole of creation. Um, everything is gathered together in this sight of the divine and the capacity to see how everything is in fact present in the divine mind is very much part of what it is to share in the divine mind. This is not about cutting things off to purify in the narrow sense. This is about bringing things together and seeing how they integrate, how they knit together into the glorious whole. And so calling on Apollo it's quite a natural thing to do. Um, of course, Dante understands the significance of Apollo. Apollo is the god 
of light. Um, I also wonder if he calls on Apollo because the word Apollo means not many. Apollo um, means not many, literally in the Greek. And so the God Apollo that brings the many together into the one is a God to call on as well. Um, he's a God associated with Mount Parnassus. So it's also quite appropriate that here at the top of Mount Purgatory, he should think of Apollo calling from the top of Mount Parnassus, calling us towards the light. He also talks about the laurel leaves of Apollo's crown. Um, this is calling on Apollo as the one who crowns the poets, um, who crowns the warriors in life too, um, that when they are recognised by the gods, which is to say when they have become divine in their work themselves, Apollo bequeaths the laurel crown to them. So Dante at the beginning of this third part, in a way the most tremendous part and the most difficult part, but also the most glorious part for him as a poet, it's quite natural that he would call on Apollo too. There's a shadow in this still at this stage because he also remembers Marcius who was the mortal that challenged Apollo and Apollo punishes by flaying alive. Um, it's a violent image um, but it's strangely appropriate too because in being flayed alive Marcius leaves his body behind and so can, can move into divine realms. Um, so there's a kind of sense in which even the violence, perhaps even the memory of everything that he's seen in Inferno, um, is going to be gathered up in this last part of his journey as well. Um, even the things that can seem to destroy us, to be violent against us, to seem the most excruciatingly painful, are somehow part of this ascent theme of how the descent and the ascent are one of the same is being remembered I think in this image as well. He says to us that it's going to take a combination of all the virtues for us to develop the eyes that can see, the ears that can hear. So these are the four classical virtues of courage, of temperance, which you might say is the kind of appropriate response in any moment, of justice, meant in this old sense of being able to see the harmony and the linkage, but also um, wisdom, um, seeing with insight rather than just what's immediately present. And then those four get combined with the three Christian or theological virtues, as they're sometimes called, of faith, which is being able to, you might say, see around corners, even if we can't see directly um, ourselves, um, of hope, which is always turning towards what's good, even when things feel tricky, um, and also love, um, which is this cultivation of the desire to be with the divine. Um, he describes them, though interestingly not in a moral way, as if this is somehow the qualities of our personalities we've got to conjure up, um, but actually by using um, astronomical illusions, um, he says that the four classical virtues are like the four circles that encompass the earth. Um, so that's the circle of the horizon, the circle of the elliptic, which is the plane that the planets move through, the circle which joins the north and south poles running vertically, if you imagine the globe of the earth standing on its end, 
and then also the circle of the equator. And the way that these circles, these four circles around the Earth, are arranged means that they meet at three points. And so the meeting point of the four in these three points gives rise to the three theological virtues of faith, hope and love. And I think that one of the reasons why Dante describes it in this seemingly circuitous, or literally circuitous way, um, is because he's saying that this is about tapping into qualities which are also part of the cosmos. We can see them outside of ourselves as much as cultivate them within ourselves. And that dynamic's really important as well, because the paradise, whilst it is about seeing with the inner eye, it's about seeing that which is outside of us with the inner eye, and so be drawn towards that which is outside of us, becoming one with that which is outside of us, which is going to be different aspects of the creation, different aspects of the heavens, and ultimately um, parts of the divine. Um, so that gives us a clue as to what this journey is about. Um, it's about cultivating these qualities that we feel in ourselves, but now are starting to connect and link with that which we can see with our inner eye in the world around us as well. It's that which we're drawn to as, that which we, as, as much as that which we try and foster within ourselves. Um, so that dynamic of inward and outward, but going to towards that which is more and more real in the cosmos is going to be a dynamic that takes us up into paradise, through the paradise um, that Dante the poet is going to try and describe. Another really crucial dynamic is signalled because throughout the first canto Beatrice is said several times to be staring at the sun and Dante marvels at this and because, of course, mortal humans can't usually stare at the sun. Now, Dante, um, Beatrice is in her blessed state, um, and so she's seeing more than just um, the guinea sun, as William Blake put it, when he too stared into the sun and saw more than just a round golden disc shining brightly in the sky, looking like a guinea hanging in the air. Um, Blake famously said, no, 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 I see the heavenly hosts crying holy, holy, holy. And so being able to see more than just physical light, but what the physical light heralds or itself reflects, that too is a key part of being able to journey into paradise, of having the eyes that can see more. It's about not just staying with that which you might say we're told the physical world is about, um, you know, even more so now um, in the modern world with modern science. Although I think also modern science gives us a clue about seeing more, because at the same time, of course, modern science tells us that what we see in appearances isn't all that's going on. Um, you know, light is photons and waves. Um, so being open to seeing more um, is partly, I think, what is alluded to with Beatrice being able to stare at the sun more. Um, we are blinded, not just in the sense that um, it's painful to look at the light, but because we don't know how to look at the light aright. And learning to do that is somehow going to be a crucial dynamic through the paradise as well. A huge part of what enables him to see more is going to be him seeing Beatrice 
already seeing more, she who already can stare into the highest heavens. And time and time again, when he sees Beatrice enjoying that sight, it's sight of her that conjures up in him both the desire, but then increasingly the capacity to see that sight as well. And this gives us another hint as to how we might rise into paradise, that when we in life see those rare souls perhaps around us enjoying that more, we should contemplate them because their enjoyment will foster in us the capacity to enjoy it too. Um, you know, notice what feels alluring in life. Sometimes it will lead you astray, but sometimes it will lead you to more. And so following that desire too is really important. Falling in love, you might say, with that which is good and learning to discern where your erotic desire leads you astray and when it carries you towards the more. Um, remember that in the purgatory that had been a key lesson that Dante had learned, that his erotic love could be not just about him wanting to grab things, um, but much more significantly, it's now become him being carried by his desire towards more and more things. And, you know, that makes sense. When we say something is beautiful in this world, we're drawn towards it. And if we follow that path of beauty, then gradually more and more beauty can enter our lives, which is another way of saying that we rise into paradise. Dante describes looking at Beatrice in this way in the first canto and without realising it he's actually already taken off on the journey. Um, he says he starts seeing sparks and fire flying through the atmosphere um, and he's already embarked on his flight and ascent without really knowing it quite at this stage. Um, and I think that's a nice um, uh, message for us as well that perhaps we've already embarked on the journey into paradise without quite knowing it. Um, we have to become conscious of what's actually going on in our lives already as much as hoping for more. Um, and this following the line of beauty, um, following the line of that which most powerfully attracts us, bringing together these different aspects of ourselves in our desire, in our capacity to become conscious, um, looking at the world around us and finding those souls like Beatrice, or maybe there's other aspects of nature, um, those intelligences that are already on the way to the divine and orientating, aligning our lives to them. All these aspects are important for us and because they're already happening for Dante, Dante's actually already launched, he's already on his journey. When he realises that this is happening already, he says that he was like Glaucus, um, another classical illusion. Glaucus was a fisherman who noticed that when some of the fish he caught hit a herb, um, they revived and came back to life. And so Glaucus decides to eat some of the herb himself and he becomes a sea god. And Dante uses um, this story to describe what he felt was happening to him in one of his famous neologisms in the Divine Comedy, um, the verb transhumanize. He says, I was transhumanized. And quite what he means by this, he says he can't himself quite tell us at this point. Um, he wants us to follow him on the journey too. 
and we must undergo the transformation, the transhumanization of the divine comedy in its third part ourselves, if we're to really understand. Um, but he does leave us wanting to know more. Um, and that wanting, I think, is part of the transhumanizing process. Um, he echoes St. Paul, who, if you remember in the second letter to the Corinthians, has said that he was carried up into the third ecstatic heaven, much as Dante is going to be carried there too. And Paul says, whether I was in the body or not, I cannot tell. And Dante who, himself alludes in this moment to quite which part of him was carried into these high heavens. He's not yet sure. He can't understand the experience fully, even though he knows that he had the experience. And to communicate that to us, he needs to invite us on a journey of transhumanization, at least in some small part as well. And with that, the first canto moves to Dante, the pilgrim's perspective, um, the perspective that we can walk alongside with if we are to at least gain some intimation of this transhumanization. And Dante's eagerness to understand what's happening to him now that he is rising into um, the first heaven um, has already been picked up with, by Beatrice, of course, you know, they're mutually sharing, mutually participating in this experience, so she knows what's going on for him. And he asks her to explain things. He asks her to take the first step of the paradise in bringing to more conscious awareness of what is actually happening. And she says, you know, it's only your misperceptions that actually stop you from seeing it more clearly already. Um, you know, she's not um, slow in chastising Dante, even if lovingly and gently, and that's going to be part of it as well, um, part of the, the shadow side that is still um, involved in the journey into paradise. But nonetheless, as she said at the end of the purgatory, she's going to try and speak in ways that he can understand directly, that's going to match his experience as it's happening now. And so she explains that actually the reason why he's rising is because um, we humans are destined to rise um, and it's only our misfiring desires, it's only our lack of perception that stops us rising already and as that's clarified, as the doors of perception um, are cleansed, so we move towards the infinite, um, to echo Blake's famous phrase. And this is precisely what's happening now. She says, it would be strange if you hadn't started to rise. That would be like seeing a waterfall tumbling upwards. Now, much as that which is destined to fall falls, so that which is destined to rise will rise one way or another. There's nothing ultimately in the cosmos that can stop it because the cosmos itself is designed to bring it about. She talks about how things find their appropriate place around the source. All creatures find their appropriate location around the creator. And whilst this leads to, on the one hand, a seemingly hierarchical cosmos, and we're going to ascend through a hierarchy of heavens, um, that hierarchy is also actually just a perception that as we rise through it is going to gradually fall away because in fact all things share in the divine life otherwise they would fall out of life altogether 
And so that's uh, an intimation of a, quite a profound mystery, actually, um, that unity is actually found in the diversity that in manifold ways all shares in the one divine light. Um, it's an understanding that Dante is going to wrestle with various stages as he ascends through the hierarchy and sees that actually the hierarchy is more like a path towards the divine that all follow, even as they occupy different paths on this parts on this ascent. So she offers that explanation, which I guess is as much an invitation to want to understand as much as it is an immediate illumination of what she's describing. We need to be able to see these things for ourselves in order to really get them. And the canto ends with the appropriate image of her turning her gaze once more towards the heavens. And it's a good one for us because at the end of the first canto, we can think now of the paradise as itself a kind of manifestation of Beatrice. Um, it's Dante, the poet, having put into incarnate form all that he's seen, even as he, at the end of Canto One, is seeing Beatrice gazing towards the heavens. So as you hold the book even in your hands, you're in a way holding Beatrice's gaze in your mind's eye, wanting to know more about where this journey through the paradise is going to take us. Having had our own desire kindled at the beginning of this third stage of the journey.